Rocket, welcome back to the My Love of Golf podcast. How are you, pal? I'm very good. Thank you, Roscoe. Thank you for having me back again. So I, I can't have done too bad on the last one because you have been uh, invited me back. Mate, my team were telling me that uh, per time, the Roscoe and Rocket episode one was the most downloaded over a period of eight hours over any episode. So people must uh, must dig what we're putting out. Funnily enough, one of uh, my clients in the store, he uh, he called me called me out today. He said, "You've bag shaved me, Ross." I said, "What do you mean?" His name's Lynn, and if he listens, and he will listen, Lynn, you're getting a men- you're getting a mention after chipping me today, and thanks for doing that because I, I appreciate the the listen. I said, "What do you mean? You bag I bag you bag shame me, mate? Telling me that." you can't handle having multiple wedges. I've got three different types of wedges in this bag and you sold me each one individually, so don't bag shame me again, all right? So <laughs> that was a nice bit of feedback from Lynn. <laughs> well, maybe we just have to sell him a matching set then. Correct. Now, mate, how's your, how's your couple of weeks been since uh, we last uh, spoke? Uh, it's been good. Unfortunately, I haven't been out, been able to get out on the golf course, but I have been um, getting my fix with obviously a lot of events coming on. But um, I'm going to sort of uh, hijack this one a little bit. Uh, I did listen to your episode that uh, you had with Clint Rice. Um, I will say if uh, anyone's listening to this one and they haven't listened to the Clint Rice one, do yourself a favour and go back and listen to the Clint Rice one because, first of all, one, he's a Tasmanian, so I instantly love him because he's fellow Tasmanian. Um, two, I can uh, sympathise with the coldness of where he was uh, doing his greenkeeping apprenticeship. Uh, Riverside is basically right on the Tamar, and anyone that's lived in Launceston, it is a cold, dirty hole in winter. And uh, he was... Uh, coming up with some amazing uh, tips and there's you know, a lot of things I've got to learn about some of the equipment that he's bringing in and you, you'll bring into the store. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to digest and I've got to go back to that one. Um, but that's about it that's been going on. Mate, thanks for the feedback on that. And as, as I was sort of suggesting earlier, I don't really listen to the podcast back too often you know I'll, I'll listen to the bits and just check that they sound okay and all, all of that but i don't listen to them in all in their entirety i don't just don't have the time but i listened to the clint one this morning and we did that a couple of weeks ago and i know clint pretty well so it was a good easy flowing conversation and but his story about trainee greenkeeper greenkeeper golf pro moving around australia moving around the world playing in canada and then the people that he meets it just kept on getting bigger and bigger, and yeah, you know, the experiences that he've had that he's had were fantastic. And you know, I just put a post on um, my Instagram tonight, and I said that he might not have won a PGA Tour event, but everything that he learnt along that journey, he's put into practice in this great little business that he's building for you know the golfers of Australia and trying to help them get better. He's taking his knowledge that he's gleaned all around the world, and and put and is putting that into practice by bringing in the best training aids that is designed to help very clearly to make you a better golfer. So it's not a sell for Clint's business, but the story is uh, is very good. And I appreciate you listening to that, mate. I really, really do. Now, well, the, sorry, go on. Sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt. The last little bit of indulgence is that, uh, you know, I know when he said that he got into golf, that was around about the time I'm going to indulge a little bit here. So I was just finishing up. I was about to move over to Melbourne at that time and playing interstate series and top-level amateur golf, basing myself out of Tasmania. And for him to go from where he was at the age of 16 to what he's achieved now, there's a lot of um, very, 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 very good, talented players um, that have come out of Tasmania but have not achieved anything near what he's achieved. So it's a testament to his his aptitude and his application and his work ethic to for him to have achieved what he's achieved. So I'm quite quite proud of that actually as a Tasmanian. Absolutely, mate. So that's enough about Clint. If you've if you've listened to it, let, drop us some feedback and, and let us know that you listened to it. And uh, I'll pass it on to him because he really will appreciate it. And he's one of the most unassuming characters that you'll ever come across. Very humble. So, mate, what's caught your eye in the world of golf in the last two weeks? 
been a couple of tourna- couple of tournaments on. I know you want to download on some of that. Um, there's a couple of things that I sense are grinding away. Might ha- might have something to do with your and I's inability to watch the golf last weekend. We'll get to that. But uh, do you want to give us a quick wrap of you know what your vision was of uh, the last uh, few tournaments? So we'll go back to what are we going back to the Valspar? Yeah, the Valspar. So I didn't watch a lot of that. Um, I, last year I did because it was one of that was the first time Tiger had contended for a while and won by Paul Casey. Um, and the uh, old Popeye, you know, little Mister Forearms, Paul Casey, he's actually gone back to back. So he's taken out the Valspar. No idea who else finished in the you know, second, third and stuff like that. I was not really too interested in it. Um, and, and that's another unfortunate thing with that event is that uh, it's been with all the PGA Tour schedule changes. It's got jammed in between a few different events. That was last week, though. Um, this week, it was absolute wall-to-wall golf. We had Champions Tour, LPGA, um Events in um, Latin America, so we've you know, just a little snapshot, uh, snapshot of um, you know Ryan Ruffles Mr. injury run, um, you know finishing T second. So it's good to see Ryan back out there, young Australian golfer, you know plying his trade over in the states. Mate, and um, if, if I can just give a, a shout out to uh, Ryan's mental coach Jamie Glazier, I know he's a big listener of the podcast. Uh, well done on well done on working with Ryan and getting him back. I know they had a training camp down here in Melbourne uh, a, a month, a couple of months ago. Yeah, not certainly in this year, and uh, I think they're catching up uh, in the next week or so um, in East Coast, uh, West Coast USA. Um, no, East Coast. Sorry, um, to, to to touch base. But uh, Jamie's put a lot of work in with Ryan, and you know, hopefully that uh, that's starting to come to fruition because uh, he's a super talent and by all accounts oh. by all accounts a super young guy so Jamie congrats to you and uh, you know he's in the states at the moment doing some work with the, the other guys in, in the states that he works with and you know we'll try and talk to Jamie about those guys but they're also doing great things as well anyway moving on next tournament uh, and then the uh, we'll, we'll get to the match play in a, in a minute but the other crossover event uh, played down in the Dominican Republic. G Mac is back. <laughs> Graham McDowell he is back in town. He has played some phenomenal golf over the weekend to uh, cling on to a one shot uh, victory down in the Dominican Republic. And um, I was watching a little bit of the, the back nine. Uh, again this afternoon and there was some just really good uh, footage and sort of mic work you know it was one of the par fives and you could see mulling over it and he just whispers silently under his breath to his caddy he goes we've got to make some birdies right now so you could see he was uh he was really locked in and dialed in and he's been sort of um missing on the world stage for a while he's probably focused more of his efforts on his bar and stuff down in Orlando. Um, also happening in the Dominican was um, Bads.com. He Se- was... Uh, seventh place or something like that, Was it? did I see? What's that? Did he finish seventh or thereabouts? He was He was up there, wasn't he? Uh, he was yeah, He was contending through second, third round. I think he struggled a little bit over the weekend with his ball striking. And uh, lucky he continued. Uh, the flat stick was keeping him in it. So I think he, he might, you might be right if he finished top 10. Um, but he's been performing quite well, you know, in the last few months. But he's really working hard to try and retain his card because he doesn't have any rights past this year. And uh, another Australian, Matty Jones... Um, he finished T15, so we had a good uh, representation there from the Australians down the Dominican Republic. But good to see GMAC back. I think he must be warming up for uh, the US Open at Pebble, you know, getting uh, getting ready to rock and roll down at uh, Monterey again. I sense by um, the I sense by the uh, elevated uh, introduction of the GMAC that you're a GMAC fan. Oh. I don't know, just G-Mac is back. It just sounded good. I thought I'd give it a bit of an okay. accentuation. No, no, it's good. It was, 
Impo- that's good good accentuation, mate. Keep keep going with the accentuation. It's very good. Well done. <laughs> what about the ladies? Uh, you got a, a read on the ladies? Um, they were in Carl's bat. Uh, no, I didn't. I, th- I can't. I, I've no idea on the results. And I'm going to put a disclaimer on most events um, outside of the primary ones. If I didn't have a day job. I'd probably know every other event inside out. So I, I do apologise for every other person that enjoys women's or web.com because I'm not going to get across everything. So apologies ongoing. <laughs> well, you would hope that your backup man here on the other side uh, might back you up on that. But uh, we'll get better at this, mate. We'll get better. Come on. It's, a, <laughs> it's all right. It's early days. But then... But then we've. But I, I will. I will say that the uh, the winner of the uh, Aviara um, tournament down there in Carlsbad on the Aviara course was uh, young lady uh, Hata Oka. Um, what's her, what's her first name? Nor, Nori. I uh, don't know her first name, but Danielle Kang was second, and uh, JY Ko uh, was equal second. Inby Park and um, So Young Park uh, all equal. In minus 15, third. Athahara Munoth also T, T second. So those uh, ladies filled out the uh, first and equal second positions and it went down to um, young Miss Choi in T7. There was a whole gaggle of young uh, ladies at T7 on minus 14. There you go. Next. The Dell match play. Mm. I, yes. feel, I, feel there's, I feel there's some... Uh, there's something coming. Well, I love match play. I love match play. I, I, I enjoyed playing interstate series as an amateur. I love playing Division One pennant over here in Victoria. But I, I don't know how the PGA Tour can ruin a match play event, but they, they succeed. Like this round robin stuff, like, please, like, just... You've got top 64, just create a couple of brackets and every match is to the death. Match play is a mental war and a mental test. 18 holes to the death. None of this tied and halved and all that sort of stuff. If you've got to play extra holes, play extra holes. So I, I don't know how the PGA Tour do it, but they continue to stuff really amazing events up. But on the flip side, Kevin Kisner was victorious and glorious against uh, Matt Kucha, a.k.a. 3000 bucks in Mexico. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll come back to Cooch because there's a few more stuff uh, you know, we can talk about him. But Kevin Kisner, um, or the man that would, you know, has a habit of spitting all the time on the golf course. Anyone remembers the final round of a USPGA a few years ago? Um, he just tore his way through the round robins and just you know blasted his way through the quarters, semis, and um, and was you know as quite a comfortable victory. I think three and two um, for him over Matt Kuchar. Um, other highlights was um, the young young fella from Sweden. I think it was. Uh, I think they can't they can't pronounce his name, but I think they referred to him as Beer Garden. Um, Beer Garden. You know, Victor- <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Aero Garden, maybe I don't know. Um, but his his victory over um, over Tiger Woods, um, which apparently some journalist equated to Jack Fleck beating Ben Hogan in the 55 US Open. I don't know what some of those Yanks do. Sometimes they just really overinflate things. Um, but the event was great of what I could see on Twitter because the PGA Tour, again, I don't know how they ruin events, but the WGCs, they put them on only Golf Channel or unless you pay a subscription to Golf TV. So basically, if you have Foxtel or if you have any other you know, television service, you cannot see a WGC event. It is absolutely just mind-numbing how they can just stuff things up like this. You know, you've got a massive event, top 64 in the world, playing match play, which they don't play very often, and no one can watch it. I don't get it. 
explain it to me. Well, I can't. Ex- I can't explain it to you. I, I, you know, have no idea why on earth they would do that. You know, obviously there's fiscal reasons involved, and you know, I just think from an advertising, the little I know about advertising, are you not better to have it on free to air so you generate more and more advertising, more and more eyeballs, rather than tucking it away on a subscription, you know, service? Um, you know. This is this is a big event. It's it's not a they're not majors, of course, but you know, golfers love to watch match play. You know, it's outside of the Ryder Cup, Presidents Cup. You know, you don't get to see these one-on-one head-to-heads, and I think there's some good conjecture over people's interest in match play. But I think, as a golfer, I love watching it, and most of the people that I know, you know, really really enjoy those one-on-one head-to-heads. And so I don't I don't know why they do it, but you know, you're obviously filthy, and you know I'm I'm filthy. I haven't got some fresh content to play on my, uh, you know, Foxtel su- subscription. I'm still watching Paul Casey at the Valspar, so um, and, and and I'll be watching GMAC for another week. So anyway, I share I share your thoughts. And did you pick up on Twitter? You're the Twitter man. Um, you know, any feedback from you know the notables, the journos, all that sort of thing? That, was there any sort of like-minded thoughts in that space? Oh, there's a lot of frustration from um, people, um, especially over here in Australia. That we don't have the ability. You know, we don't. We're not. Um, you know, Foxtel aren't syndicated to Golf Channel, so there's a lot of people that are subscribing to pay TV services over in the US to the Golf Channel, so they're able to watch it. Um, but anyone outside of the US, you, you've only got one option, and this is golf TV. And it, it, there's a lot of people that were very, very unhappy with how this was has been handled. Um, and even some of the um, other golf podcasts that I do listen to, you know, <laughs> they're making reference to it as well in terms of it's not really sort of helping grow the game whatsoever. Um, but on social media, there were some interesting things that were being picked up and um, especially Lee Westwood trolling the US Ryder Cup team, I think, um, because when Kevin Kisner made it to the uh, the semifinals, he sent a tweet saying, this Kevin Kisner is quite good at match play. Maybe he also would have been very, very handy um, playing match play at La National France, which was in reference to <laughs> which is obviously in reference to, uh, you know, the the implosion with uh, the captain's picks um, from last year's Ryder Cup. And then what makes it even better is that after Kisner wins, Lee Westwood replies to his own tweet saying, I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> he's pretty good on Twitter, the old Lee Westwood. I, you know, I like following him. He's... he's Sharp, sharp with the tongue, sharp with the wit, and uh, he's uh, doesn't hold any punches usually. And uh, Nottingham Forest fan—that's the only thing that I could hold against Lee Westwood. But uh, you know, I'll give him. We'll give him that. We'll give him that. Um, and then when I said about the match play and coming back to Kucha, um, oh, this is one where this this hit every every emotional button I have. So, you know, I said about match play before, you know, I love match play because it is like mental warfare. You know, I remember playing interstate series and I'm just going to, you know, indulge a little bit here, a bit of strategy because one of the things that I used to try and do, and it was very risky, but it just, it was like one of these things where you're trying to get a a mental um, hold on your opponent is I would give them, so let's say, for example, I've got an eight-footer, eight-nine-footer for a birdie on the first hole. They've got a four-footer for a par. I'll give them that putt, and they'll look at me really funny because all I want to do is I want to basically jam my eight-footer in for birdie and show them that I don't care where they've got this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make putts, and so I would give long putts early, but then late as the round got on. I'd start. I'd start not giving the longer ones. I'd make them putt short ones. So it's just mental torture, right? I loved it. Absolutely loved it. So we go to Cooch. Sergio is playing Coocher. So my two least favourite golfers on the planet. What could go wrong? So Sergio, being as calm as he is, 
He's had a he's had a putt for a win. He's missed it. The putt, it's lipped out. It's gone about a foot from the hole. Before Kuchis could even say, say anything, he's just losing his – he's just lost it. He's gone and backhanded it with the putter and missed it. So he's lost the hole. But then there's like this awkward moment where Kuchis hasn't given it to him. There's an element of you thinking – is, it, is he going to do the gentleman thing? Kucha goes over to Sergio goes, oh, I was going to give it to you, but I'm not sure because you already hit it. And the official was right near him, and the official then goes, you didn't concede it, loss of hole. Then <laughs> Sergio is starting to he's starting to breathe fire at this point. They're going down the fairway. Kucha is saying to Sergio, I feel bad about it. And Sergio turns around and says, why don't you concede this hole then to make it even? <laughs> and so it's blown right up, absolutely blown right up, and it's divided Twitter. People saying, you know, it's Sergio's fault because he's just a hothead. Kucha for being a sneaky bugger, especially when you consider all the, you know, El Toucan stuff down in Mexico. And so it's just lit, lit everything up. It's just been amazing to see the two people I dislike the most in terms of their behaviour getting absolutely roasted from both sides on social media. It's just, it's a thing of beauty. It's probably the thing that was my highlight for the whole week. They ended up kissing and make up, kissing and making up, but didn't they? Did, did that finish okay? Well, it probably did because maybe Sergio's advisors, um, yeah. you know, the, the, the guys that are the um, part of the Sergio Salvation Tour, <laughs> have said to Sergio, said, look, we- Sergio, we've been working really hard since you um, basically took a bulldozer to a bunker in Saudi Arabia and rode your motorbike, which was your spikes and scuffed them over five greens. You know, they've had him kissing babies, um, helping people with marriage proposals, hanging out with the volunteers, and then you have this, and they're probably going, hey, Sergio, Sergio, mate, just calm down. Keep You're making our heart on the Salvation Tour very hard. We've got to keep we've got to keep the train rolling. We've got to rebuild your profile up so everyone thinks that you're just Sergio. <laughs> Sergio, the, 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 the great man who's just the fiery Spaniard. What would you have done in that situation? If I was Kucha? Yeah. Um, I probably would have said, well, there's two scenarios. Like, if you're fast, if he was paying attention um, and he's it's gone to, like, a foot, you would probably say that's good. But if, they're, if, if Sergio, this is the scenario, this is the sliding door moment, and this is where I talk about match, match play being that mental warfare, if he's, if he's losing it and if I know that he loses it like that, I would probably wait and for him to look up and look at me for me to say yes and you can see what will happen because that's what it is. It's it's not just normal, you know, round of golf. It's match play. Yeah. Every hole is to the death. So if he tapped it, I, I wouldn't even say anything. It'd be like, I haven't conceded it, so you've lost the hole. Next. I'm not even going to make any apologies for that because hmm. that's just how – that's. That's just match play. Everyone knows what match play is. Like, I I remember playing country pennant. So I remember being like a 14-year-old playing against guys that were like 40. They were ruthless. I think think my hardened heart of match play was built on the grounds of, you know, Northwest Bay down in the, you know, the the southeast part of Tasmania against 40-year-olds that play for sheep stations in country pennant. Oh, they, 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 they took no prisoners. It didn't, didn't matter if you're a 14-year-old kid. It didn't matter. They, they, they took no prisoners whatsoever, and that's, that's my foundation of match play, and that's exactly how it should be played. I didn't really get Kucha saying that he felt, you know, telling on the following hole that he felt bad and all that sort of thing. I'll tell you, I'll tell you my feel-bad moment in pennant. I feel bad for it now. I didn't ever say that I felt bad at the time. It didn't help me win the match because I lost, but we were playing in Sorrento and it was a terrible weather day and my playing partner's gear rolled into the buggy. Oh, no. Uh, Rolled into the bunker, sorry. All his bag and everything rolled into the bunker. And I wasn't 100% sure, 
But I thought that that couldn't happen. And I asked the question. I said, I don't think that can happen. Let's find out. But I think it's lost a hole. And I think at the time that was the ruling. You can correct me. But anyway, he conceded the hole. I think you're right. He conceded the hole and, uh, and we moved on. Obviously, I was struggling <laughs> and I didn't win the match. But in hindsight, years and years on, I still never felt comfortable with, with doing that. You know, I should have, my nature was, was to be, you know, getting in there and helping him pull the buggy out and getting on with it. But uh, maybe that's why I, I, I didn't play, <laughs> didn't win many matches. But um, yeah, I, I, I never said anything, you know, in, in, in my defence. I never said anything afterwards. I didn't say, mate, I'm sorry about that. I feel bad about it now. But at the time, I was trying to win. But um, yeah, I, I, didn't think yeah. He, I didn't think he needed to say, I feel bad for it. Anyway. There are some there are some golf rules that exist and they're insane. That is one of them, and so you feeling bad. I can pl- if if I did exactly what you did, I would feel the same way because it's one of those rules where I look at it and go, do you know what? That that's just crazy. Like, and I'll I'll share one where uh, we were playing. It was oh, who I can't remember the the club we were playing, but it was at Woodlands. It was on the 16th hole. I was in the left fairway. He was in the right trees. My captain was walking by. He's having a practice swing away from the ball, and he's clipped a tree, and, like, a small bit of the branch fell off. Yeah, yeah. And he's going and, – and my captain's going, that's, like, lost a hole, and I'm like, I'm not going to penalise him for that. And he looked at me, and my captain didn't speak to me for the rest of the day because I said, he's having a practice swing. That's just insane rule. I'm not. And he looked over to me and I said, play on, mate. He ended up winning that hole, winning the match. I lost the match like two down. And my captain was tearing shreds off me. Would have been and filthy, said, oh. yeah. He was filthy. But I couldn't win that way because I, I personally think that rule is just insane. There's, there's deliberately improving your shot, but he's not even near the ball and he's having a swing and a clip the branch. Like, like I looked at him going, he's not doing anything malicious. I, I used my own judgment. I was not going to be, I wasn't going to be the guy that was going to walk across the fairway and go, uh, that's the whole, that's the whole champ. Let's walk to 17. Nah, I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. I've heard some classic stories in, in uh, Metropolitan Pennant and, and you sort of touched on it. There, you know, the captain being dark at you. I was speaking to a mate of mine today. I won't mention what club that he plays for, but he was advised that if he didn't come to practice at five o'clock on Thursdays, he wouldn't get picked in the team. Now he works. He works till seven o'clock on the other side of town. Can't get to the course that will remain nameless, and got dropped after winning every match. But you know, we have to make a stand, and this is the team performance. It's Yep, it's pennant, man. Yeah, you know, it's a game of golf, like unbelievable. <laughs> um, like, he, not, like he's the best, you know. Like he's not the lowest handicapper in the team, but he's like he'd be. I think he's been winning at number three, but because he couldn't turn up because he had work commitments to pay his bills. Anyway, <laughs> you know that's the sort of dedication we require. Unbelievable. Um, I uh, I stopped playing Division One. Four years ago, I was the oldest in the team by a lot. I was the only one that had kids. So me turning up to practice. So we practiced at every course for eight weeks before pennant season started. Then we'd have playing every Saturday. If you didn't play every Saturday, there'd be I'd get a phone call. Um, then there'd be uh, a night session of just short game stuff, like on a Wednesday night, and it'd be like. You know, where are you? I'm like, I've got a full-time job. <laughs> all these other all these other whippersnappers are half my age. But my putter, my putter at the time was older than two of the players. Um, you know, so, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite full-on. Some clubs do take it to quite extremes, and I understand it, but, you know, come on, come on. <laughs> we'll finish. We'll finish the pennant and uh, match play discussion. On I'll give you an insight. The contrasting story to that Mornington pennant warm up considered of <laughs> consisted of being in Beach's Hotel on a Saturday night after comp on a Saturday. 
and someone had to be responsible for dragging the te- half the team out of there at five a.m. Yep. That was morning. Yep. That was Mornington Pennant. It sounds like Country Pennant. I remember Country Pennant um, uh, was uh, someone had to be the designated driver, um, and it was their job to be waking everyone up in the morning and making sure that everyone was up and ready to at least make it to the course on time because the night before, if we'd stayed somewhere away from home, uh, yeah, everyone's quite drunk. (laughs) Anyway, mate, so let's keep moving on. So what have we got next week? We have the Texas Valero, Valero Texas Open. Is that correct? That is it at uh, TPC San Antonio. Um, I think the field is actually going to be quite good for that one. Uh, there'll be probably a few players looking to, you know, eke out a eke out a win to try and get that last spot into Augusta the for the the week after. So it's going to be um, it's going to be quite interesting next you know next week. You know, those people fighting for you know that last spot and then. Uh, you know, we, I don't think we'll have uh, like the likes of Brooks Kepfer and Tiger and that playing because uh, you know, it's a week before a major. They don't play before a week before a major. No, never. Um, so I think really next week is sort of a bit of an aberration and everyone's just getting geared up, ready for the Masters and, you know, thinking about, you know, who could be the form players rolling into there um, and all the events and other stories and stuff that comes up to the Masters. That's really what's going to be most important, maybe. Do you want to give us uh, your early form guide for the Masters? Because we'll probably try and catch up between uh, maybe just the week before, the week of the Masters, just before maybe, or and definitely after. But uh, do you want to give us a, a read on the early form guide? Um, I, the hottest player is still going to be Rory, I think, at the moment. His form's been really good, even though he went down... I lost, lost one down to um, to Tiger in the match play. I don't know I, th- I think he just had a bit of Tigeritis. It, I, it m- must be a bit of intimidation of Tiger still there. But he's still the form guy going into Masters, and everyone will ask him, Rory. You know how important is it because this is the last leg of the the Grand Slam. So that's going to bore him senseless for the week. Um, DJ's been floating around, you know, doing DJ stuff. Um, Kisner's been in good form, obviously, with a match play win. Um, and the guys that had sort of early form, they sort of petered out. So, yeah, Justin Rose go off to, get off to a blazing blazing start for the year, and he sort of um, just sort of fitted around a little bit. Adam Scott started early. Um, from the Australians, my, my, my hot tip is going to be um, Mark Leishman. He he is going to you know Leash Leash has contended there obviously back in um, twenty thirteen with um, uh, the year Scotty won, um, but he's been thereabouts a few other times as well, and um, he went undefeated in the round robin series and he, he lost at the quarterfinal stage, but he's starting to hit a little bit of form, so don't don't underestimate the Leash. Um, He's going at about fifty-one bucks on uh, sports bet at the moment, so it could be a nice little sly bet, I reckon. Um, of course, gamble so, responsibly. Yeah, exactly, gamble responsibly. Um, so they, they've been the main ones, um, and then obviously we've got defending champion Patrick Reed, or maybe it's Justine Reed that's defending champion. I don't know because um, I don't know who's got control of that relationship, considering that um, Justine did call David Ledbetter to come down to the course and help Patrick with his swing because she didn't like how he's playing in the first nine holes of um, at the Valspar, which is quite interesting. Um, so, and then the last one about them, you know, they're, the, they're probably the wrap-up of the major form ones, you know, Ram and the likes, they'll be thereabouts. Um, and hopefully Rory can break the, the Players' Championship hoodoo. So, no person who's won the Players' Championship has ever won the Masters in the same year. So let's see if we can, you know, if we can break that duck. Um, they're the major ones that are, I think, playing around. There's, there's heaps of other stories um, for Augusta for the week. Um, I don't know if you want to hear me waffle on about those. We'll save those for next time. 
Have you ever been to the Masters? No. It is absolutely on the bucket list. Um, I think it is part of my um, 40th birthday wish, although I'm a few years past the 40th birthday, so I haven't cashed it in yet. Um, so, <laughs> um, so it's definitely on the – I just I have to go once. I just have to go once because, um, you know, I think about the amount of times I just get so excited. April, you know, it's, it's April in, uh, in back in Tassie is, you know, it's, it's autumn. It's a little bit of chill, but it's not too cold. The course is still in great nick. Uh, it's just something about the Masters. It just gets the senses tingling, that's for sure. Favourite Masters win that you can recall? Oh, I remember this. So from an Australian standpoint, um, I've got two. So the Australian standpoint is obviously Adam Scott. I remember that day well because we, we had an Ambrose event, charity event uh, at Royal Melbourne, and that day it was absolutely bucketing down. And um, they they postponed the start by an hour and a half, well, basically until Scotty had won. It was and yeah, you're at Royal Melbourne, and you remember the you think of the clubhouse in there. There'd be about 120 people, and they're all glued around about five TVs, and you'd never hear a roar like the one that when he held the putt on 18, and then the one when he held it on 10. There's dudes that don't even know each other, high fiving each other. It was just. Yeah, you know, for for me and experience, first Australian, and then the environment that I was in, it was just you just can't beat it. What, uh, a, what a place to be, Royal Melbourne, Scotty winning. I was I, know. I was in the cafeteria at Nissan Australia's head office with about <laughs> three guys from the workshop. <laughs> not quite the same. <laughs> not quite the same at all. Um, but my my favourite, my my personal favourite, um, would be Mickelson twenty ten. You know, so he's he's coming off. Um, his wife has had her second bout of breast cancer. His mum also had breast cancer, um, and he's come from behind. You know, he's he started off real shaky in the front nine, but his back nine, like, and that shot that he hits on thirteen off the pine straw. Oh my goodness! Like that's just that just if you just want to basically entomb Phil Mickelson his whole career in one shot, that's it. Like, Masters on the line, a shot that no one else would probably hit, and he just goes for it, just doesn't even think about it and pulls it off. It's just, oh, that win was emotionally, it is quite moving. So, and, and I'm a massive Mickelson fan, so that one's definitely my favourite. Nine, 1986, Jack Nicholas when he was 46 years old. I oh, always, that's, always that's sticks me. out. Always sticks out. Oh, that's hurting me. Why is that? Oh, that's the Greg Norman. That's the first of the Greg Norman pain. Yeah. Oh. So I, was, I was a big Jack fan. My dad was a big Jack fan. Made me a big Jack fan. And uh, but I remember that '86. And I remember, I remember him. Uh, you know, just significant because he was, you know obviously older than everyone at that stage and it's just sort of stuck out. It doesn't, doesn't stand out as much now, you know, age in, in sport, you know, because there's quite a few older guys contending these days. You know, you just mentioned one of them who's very clearly able to contend at that age. But uh, back then, you know, I think Nicholas stood out and um, I just remember that, you know, holding the putt on, on the par three and 16 and uh, it was amazing, yeah. Oh. He played phenomenal. I've put some really good stuff where they've, I think the Masters have made all the final rounds available on YouTube. So even though it's painful, it's just really good to watch that sort of stuff. And you think about the players that were contending in that 186. You had Seve, uh, Watson was in there. Norman had that birdie run um, um, into, uh, into the coming up to 18. They had Nicholas. Um, who was he playing with? Oh, it's just, it was just an, oh, Langer was contending, Lyle, oh, it's just, it's Hall of Fame stuff when you go back and look at it, um, but yeah, still painful, oof. Now, mate, you sent me some uh, architectural golf uh, homework last week, and you know, I did a little bit of reading, I did a little bit of research, I, I... Oh, really? I sort of brushed up a little bit. Do tell. 
So, Charles Blair McDonald. Yes. Born in Niagara Falls. He's actually born in Canada, but was American because mm-hmm. his parents were naturalised Americans, albeit they weren't American themselves. Charles Blair McDonald's father was a Scotsman and his mother was a Canadian. But for whatever reason, I, don't, I, I didn't research that hard, that uh, they were naturalised Americans, so Charles Blair McDonald was American. But in, I think it was maybe, maybe about 1877 or thereabouts, as a 16-year-old, he was sent off to university in St Andrews, which is where he would become a very skilled golfer and he would play against old Tom Morris and young Tom Morris in St Andrews. And that's where he found his love for golf and his love of golf courses and he that's what he brought back to Chicago. I think he was raised in and around the Chicago area and during his time in Europe and Scotland, he learnt about the template holes. So he was one of the guys that sort of brought back these template holes and, you know, made a concerted effort to include them in his designs. So when we talk about the template holes, and I think we men- maybe mentioned them, but I'll remind everyone yep. again, the, the Beeritz Green... Um, the Eden, Redan. the Redan, the Eden, uh, the Himalayas. Um, what are road the hole. the road hole? Uh, what else? Have I missed a couple? I've missed a couple. Yeah, there's a few others, but they're the more popular ones. Yeah, so he was he was one of the early architects that incorporated what he learnt in those parts of the world and brought them back uh, into the states and at the courses that he was. Party two, I think there was like twenty or so, um, and a lot of those he partnered with uh, Seth Rayner, who you mentioned last week. So he was, you know, very good and very close associates with Seth Rayner. So Sleepy Hollow and the early Shinnecock, um, which has I think been changed substantially. Uh, a couple of courses which aren't there anymore. I forget the name of those. Lido, I think maybe one of them. Um, the national, the national. Club of America, or correct me if I've got that yeah. wrong. The National Links, National, National Golf Links of National America. National Golf Links of oh America. My God, I want to play there one day. Oh. So, yeah, he sort of lived until he was about eighty odd, and you would have to say that he was fairly significant in what is some highly regarded American golf architecture still to this day. Very well done, Stu. Now. There's a couple of other little bits to uh, C.B. McDonald, which I absolutely love, and this is why I wanted to pick him off the first. Um, so not only being a bit of a, you know, we'll call it, he's not the first guy building uh, courses in the U.S., but he's sort of a bit of the one of the founding fathers and also um, one of the foundation members, you know, bringing out the USGA this is still one of the best facts ever. In 1994, do you know what he did? I failed, I failed you, Rod. I'm sorry, mate. I failed the research. <laughs> That's I've, okay. That's okay. I wasn't, I was, I was, I'm just letting you know I wasn't a great student either, mate. I'm sorry about sorry, but tell us. Tell me. 19... Uh, 1894 was the first year they played the US Open and the US Amateur, but it's not in the record books. And why is that? Because Charles B. Charles B. McDonald finished second in both, and he protested so much and was threatening legal action. They struck the events from the record. Why was he protesting? Because <laughs> he finished second in both. He objected to the result. He finished second. (laughs) So the record books, so he had the foundation of the USGA, which was 1895. He won the first US Open in 1895. He won the first US Amateur in 1895. (laughs) But he had the ones the year before, Struck from the record books because he finished second. Oh, 
There you go. Well, I, di I didn't get that. I didn't. I didn't pick that up about uh, CB McDonald. Uh, I, 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 to be honest, I did skim past his uh, playing career. I just knew. I saw that he was a. He was an accomplished player. You like that fact, don't you? That was good. You're oh, it, it makes me. You, you just you just got to think. Think back to like eighteen ninety four. He's finished second. And he's so mad about it because he's quite an accomplished golfer, and he's so wild about the result. He's he's threatening legal action. Like that's just so. It's funny. It is so funny. <laughs> okay. So um. What's next on the architectural front for us? Uh, what, have you, what, have you, what, what else are you bringing? Who, who should I research next, mate? Um, considering that, uh, unfortunately, his, his, his beautiful wife passed away just recently and um, he's done some phenomenal work and lived an amazing life. And we talked about the players the other week. It of Pete Dye. Okay. And, and the reason I say Pete Dye is because um, I think that a lot of his work is quite underrated and quite misunderstood. And he he's also been um, uh, a teacher to a lot of very well-known architects that uh, that are doing the rounds today. So Pete Dye. Oh, I know that he was a mentor to Tom Doak. Bingo. Who else? Who else did he uh, have under his wing there? There's other guys that I know, but I can't remember. Was did Bill Core? Was he part of that crew that worked with Pete Dye? Maybe not. I could be wrong. I think Mr. Core did do some work with Dye early on, before the Core Crenshaw days. Anyway, I'll come back to you with all of that. Leave that to me, and I think that I can actually deliver some significant value on this topic. Because I have actually played a Pete Dye course. I think I mentioned that last time, but I you know, just thought I'd throw that back in there that, you know, out of the two of us, I'm the one that's been to a Pete Dye course rocket. I'll just let you know that. But I think I know, I think I can get access to someone that can give me some, some good insight. I won't promise exactly, but I think I can get hold of someone that might have even spent some time with Mr. Dye. I'll see. I can't, oh, no. Can't promise. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. I, I could have just put my foot in my mouth there but I'll see anyway that's for next time anything else buddy anything else before we wrap it up it's been about an hour now of uh, of us uh, jibber jabbering on I'm enjoying it I hope the people that your, your mum and dad are listening uh, next time and they still enjoy listening to, to you and I <laughs> there's one and I'm going to try and I'm going to try and make this sort of like the, the closing one for each week because I did it the other week about you know, a bit of a social media element um, my one, my favourite golfer, Lefty, he's discovered social media. And anyone who's not following Phil Mickelson on Twitter and Instagram, do yourselves a favour and start. He he is he is taking full advantage of it, and he's producing some seriously funny content. So everyone would have seen PGA Tour making the change of you know now the players can wear shorts um, for practice rounds. And anyone that's sort of been watching around the whole, you know, the world blow up on Phil Mickelson's calves. So he's taken that and he's now created a five-part series. He's two parts in on how to build, as he calls it, calves like an Adonis. So he calls it Phil Quan do calves. <laughs> and he sh his first episode shows how He's building his calves. It's some of the funniest. It's like goes for a minute, and I was like in tears. And he talks about how he points and he pulls his legs to build calves, as he refers to it, like an Adonis. And the second one, he's got his brother filming him, and he's making out that he builds his, he does the point pull with his calves even while he's sleeping. <laughs> it's some of the funniest stuff I've seen. And he I almost wished that he'd found Twitter and Instagram like a few years earlier because well, he's definitely making up for lost time. So go see that. I will do that. I haven't followed Phil Mickelson on Instagram. Uh, I 
I follow him sporadically. I read his stuff on on Twitter, but I, I will become more active in the consumption of the uh, wonderful world of Phil. I did notice his calves, and as someone of uh, calves of somewhat pra- some degree of prowess myself, you know, I did appreciate his calf work. But I'll I'll look at the videos. But I I, I thought that uh, when he came out with his his um his video when he, he had that shirt sponsorship and, you know, he copped a heap of flack over wearing those long sleeve button-up shirts. But that video <laughs> of him dancing around past the golf balls, I just thought that was classic, funny Phil having the taking the P15S out of himself. Everyone, he doesn't care. He doesn't care, and I, I thought that was great. I thought it was great. So, mate, hats off to him. You're a Phil lover. I respect that your, your love of the Phil. Um, I think he's okay. I can. I, I do like Phil. I do like Phil. I, I like Phil. Let's leave it on. I like Phil, and uh, I'll get more into Phil now that I know that you're a Phil fan, <laughs> mate. Well, I think uh, we'll leave it on that. It's been an hour and ten of uh, just quality content from you and I again, and you in particular. This is this is your gig, mate. I just sit here and press the buttons, and uh, you bring all the value. So appreciate that once again, and. Uh, I guess until next time, that's it from Roscoe and... Rocket, love your work. <laughs> no, you're supposed to say, I love you, like you did last time. <laughs> no, 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 no. I know, that was... That was I, felt like a, I felt like a complete flog. <laughs> it was nice, mate. I actually felt really warm and fuzzy after that. And like, oh, I love you, I love you too. And then you sent me a text saying, I think I said, I love you. I said, well, yeah, you did. <laughs> I meant to say I love your work. Well, come on, man. Yeah, this is a professional outfit here. I did laugh. It's good. All right, mate. Have a good one. You too. Speak to you next time. All right. Cheers. Bye. Bye.